0: CTBK is more than just a full-service accounting firm. They are one team with an innovative approach to accounting and rise to each new challenge with collaborative problem-solving skills. CTBK goes above and beyond by lending helping hands in the Buffalo and Niagara community through volunteer work and donations and has partnered up with Victory Sports for 2020 and 2021 to keep kids in the community active. The professionals at CTBK are determined to help individuals and businesses succeed. Whether a large corporation, a small business, or somewhere in between, call CTBK at 716-630-2400. Again, 716-630-2400 and see what CTBK's one-team approach can do for you. Welcome to a four-sport edition of Tim Graham and Friends brought to you by CTBK CPAs and business consultants. It is that time of year when all four sports are going strong. Thursday night was a big night. Thursday night football, of course. Tampa Bay Buccaneers beat uh, the Philadelphia Eagles. You have the Los Angeles Dodgers uh, ousting the New York Giants in controversial fashion with a check swing that wasn't late in the game. Well, it was the last strike of the game. And the Buffalo Sabres, they opened their season with a 5 1 victory over the Montreal Canadiens down town in front of 8,467 fans. That's about a walk up of 2,000 based on my reporting. The Sabres have only about 6,500 season ticket holders. So a sparse crowd, but a little more packed than I think they're going to expect when the, when it, the nights get long, right? Uh, unless they can keep doing what they did last night, Jonah. 5-1 victory over Montreal. Uh, you did call it uh, earlier in the week uh, on Tim Graham and Friends, brought to you by CTBK, CPAs and business consultants, that uh, the Sabres would come out of the gates flying.
1: It was a big night in hockey heaven. I did sense that the Sabres were going to be a competitive team and might have an effort like this in them. I didn't expect the result in any sort of way, especially when you look at who scored the goals and when and who was making the big hits and all the different things that happened early in that game and the way that they won. But if you follow this team throughout the preseason and the end of last season and the vibes around the team, you you can see the vibes of that hardest working team in hockey from the mid nineties with Ted Nolan. And I think throughout the season, you're going to see a lot of competitive efforts and maybe some surprising results. I don't know if it's going to add up to a good record. But you're not going to see an 18-game losing streak and the uh, booing the home team off the ice and the kind of desperate or I'm sorry, depressing situation that has been around the team for the last several years. Uh, that black cloud seems to be lifted at least temporarily. We'll see what what might happen in the future of this franchise. But uh, it was a big night for Sabres fans who want to have an enjoyable experience watching the team this season. Although many of those people didn't show up for the game last night.
0: Yeah, I wonder, though, um, how shocked those fans were last night to see it uh, because I'm sure that there was a healthy dose of them who were ready to boo, who came there to just boo the team or the organization or show their displeasure, um, and they didn't have an opportunity. The Sabres didn't give them that opportunity. Kyle Ocposo scores the first goal of the game, and the Sabres win comfortably. Uh, up by three goals, I think, going into the second intermission. So, um, I, I we don't know. I don't know that this is necessarily the dynamic of the fans this year. That they are going to show up and be the scrappy fans that 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 push their young Sabers uh, on a nightly basis. I, I just, you know, I've covered sports long enough, and I've covered the Sabers long enough, and I think I have a pretty good. Uh, take on on buffalo sports fans in general uh, i do believe that they were probably ready to give the team the business if it had gone the other
1: way but it's hard to boo a team that gives that kind of effort and plays that hard and for the sure like what do you want to call it grit or sand or any of the hockey terms that you like to use for a team like that that's what the Sabers have lacked even throughout some of the winning streaks that they've had in recent seasons And a lot of things that were loathable about this team, certain players and certain attitudes and coaches and the way the team uh, acted and the vibe around the team is different. So I don't think they're going to be great in the standings. And I don't think the attendance is going to be excellent all season long. It just really can't be when the season ticket base dwindles to what it was. Now, on the other hand, that was the biggest crowd that the team has had in the building in almost two years and, uh, it's bigger than what you're going to get at an indoor basketball game in any of the local colleges or in the college teams play at the arena later this and year. It, and it should be pointed out, stuff. Jonah,
0: the, the Canadian border is now open up and, uh, you know, maybe that the the fans who were unable to renew their season tickets or were hesitant to do so will now jump in. Now, of course, that doesn't become um, fully operational until November, uh, but maybe the Sabres have established themselves as a competitive enough team and even if it's to come watch the matchup or to see the other team on the ice, uh, the visiting team, that at least the, the crowd from Southern
1: Ontario should should help. Certainly won't hurt. It'll be interesting to see if there's a bigger walk-up crowd tomorrow for an afternoon game against the Arizona Coyotes, which might be the worst team in hockey. If the Sabres aren't the worst team, this might be the worst team. So it's a winnable game for the Sabres. And a lot of people – you know, John Vogel wrote in The, in the Athletic in his story from the game that this was the place to be in Buffalo last night. and A lot of people – weren't there and didn't expect that to be the case. So maybe they'll show up tomorrow hoping to have as much fun as the fans had at the game last night. And I think that's something that's really been missing from this franchise going back more than their last place finishes a year ago or four years ago or whatever years that they've been bad and and out of the playoffs. It hasn't been fun and exciting to follow this team and watch this team, save for the 10-game winning streak and a few little stretches and some excitement over Jack Eichel at various points in his now ending tenure as a Buffalo Sabre, but there hasn't been a really fun season. Nothing like, you know, that 95, 96 Sabre season or, you know, 10 years later when they started to make their run where you could see this is the beginning of something that's going to pay off down the line. And I don't know if that's the case with this rebuild, but it might feel like that's the case uh, throughout this season.
0: Yeah, I thought it was interesting. You just mentioned Jack Eichel and it reminded me uh, from the reporting uh, the other night from Emily Kaplan of ESPN, who does an amazing job Um, and she she could be the ESPN's uh, Adam Schefter of hockey, Uh, but she had some tidbits regarding uh, Jack. Is that a a
1: compliment? Are we are we saying that?
0: Well, yeah, uh, yeah. Adam Adam had a rough week. Uh, ESPN in general had a rough week uh, (laughs) between John Gruden and and Adam Schefter. Um, What's your
1: take on that? Because people probably like your journalistic professor expertise.
0: Let's say. Let's set that aside for a second and let's get into that, but let's, let's just finish up. Let's put a bow on uh, Emily Kaplan's reporting on Jack Eichel that a trade as of uh, a few days ago looked imminent and things kind of died down, but that seems to be a rather encouraging report. Uh, She says that uh, there are a number of teams that are willing to let Jack Eichel have his preferred surgery. And, you know, this is, you're in a weird situation as a Sabres fan, or even in the, in the Sabres, uh, you know the sabers organization to be almost rooting against jack eichel's recovery uh because the better he is when he comes back the worse you're going to look uh i'm not saying it's a ryan o'reilly situation but it could be and we don't know what the sabers are going to get in return well uh, but
1: I, I think if he's able to for... come back
0: in 3 3 or 4 months and be dazzling and and his surgery of choice turned looks great then the sabers medical sp-
1: staff and, and the organization is going to look really silly. But I do think you're rooting for Jack Eichel's health, not just because that's a humane thing to do, but because I think injured Jack Eichel and questions about whether he'll ever be healthy again, really depresses his trade value. And if looking at his medical records, these, if there's five teams that believe that uh, they oh, would but once he's Jack traded, Eichel he's to- traded. Right. But if they believe that he's going to get healthy and he's worth trading for, that helps the trade value and what the Sabres ultimately get back because I think that's. Meaning because there's going to be conditional picks. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Yeah. That actually, that wasn't what I was getting to, but absolutely. Jack Eichel's health might determine ultimately what the compensation is, but I just mean that, you know, teams looking at Jack Eichel's medical records and deciding we are comfortable allowing him to get the artificial disc replacement surgery that the Sabres aren't comfortable or aren't willing to acquiesce to at this point, uh, helps to facilitate a trade and might help the Sabres get the proper value. Because I do think it's going to be a very disheartening situation if the Sabres trade Jack Eichel, the best player they've had on this team in decades and was supposed to be the face of the franchise. And sometimes those things don't work out and you have to make those trades. But if you get nothing of value in return, then that was really a wasted tank and really a wasted seven years of waiting for Jack Eichel to pay off. And if he doesn't turn into a pick or a prospect that eventually pays off down the line. Uh, You know, that's really a stain on this franchise's history. Yeah, that's,
0: that's, that's for sure. Um, But I I think that, you know, it it seems though that that he'll be traded and then have the procedure. Um, So once he's traded, then yeah, the Sabres still need him to come back and play X number of games to trigger you know, whatever conditional draft picks or whatever to, to get better assets. Um, But it looks like,
1: is it it possible that if the rest of the league is more comfortable with this surgery than the Sabres are, that that changes the Sabres minds and they allow Jack Eichel to have the surgery that he wants and he gets traded eventually once he is healthy.
0: I don't know. It seems like they've dug in their heels on this and that, that a trade is inevitable uh, still. And of course, Emily Kaplan's uh, reporting was, uh, she mentioned that the, uh, the NHL and the NHL Players Association have gotten involved in this situation uh, to help facilitate this trade uh, because they don't want to get into a situation where um, there's a grievance filed and you're going to have to go to court to have a judge determine what the collective bargaining agreement does and does not mean, um, which, you know, there's, there's variables there that for labor and management that they really would rather not have happen in courts uh, rather than to
1: determine between themselves. And the Sabres should do their best to do right by Jack Eichel. He is a very powerful agent. Now the NHLPA is involved. The league is involved. If the Sabres ultimately are the roadblock to Jack Eichel getting healthy and getting back, on the ice that's not going to help their reputation going forward and I don't think Jack Eichel's the type of player that's going to have his jersey raised into the rafters in Buffalo at any point but it would be nice if he's able to come back as a retired player on decade nights and things like that and it's not as negative as a situation it is right now if they can send him to a situation where he can get healthy and happy and finish out his career uh, hopefully that works out well for Jack Eichel, the Sabres and the Sabres fans and the NHL and the NHLPA and everybody involved. So
0: you mentioned, uh, Adam Schefter and, uh, what he did, uh, and to recap for those who, uh, haven't been following the situation, uh, in the Washington football team email, um, trove as part of the investigation into Daniel Snyder's business practices and how he runs his organization. The same trove of emails that has gotten John Gruden fired from the Las Vegas Raiders uh, and yet still hasn't done anything to Daniel Snyder. Um, Adam Schefter, it turns out, uh, was, uh, had sent at least one story to Washington football team general manager Bruce Allen, calling him Mr. Editor and saying, "What should I put in here? What should I take out?" I, I'm, not, I'm paraphrasing, but it was pretty much, "How does this look?" Uh, this is a podcast uh, featuring two sports journalism
1: adjunct professors here at local colleges. Um, uh, two journalists that have never, I would assume, addressed somebody as Mr. Editor in an email, even when they no, are an editor.
0: No, that's that's true. Um, but let me let me get your take on it. Uh, I do have, a, I do have uh, maybe a somewhat surprising response to this, um, but since I just teed it up and let's have a discussion, I'll throw it over to you and uh, let's bounce it back and forth.
1: Okay. I, I, my response might take the steam out of your response, but my reaction is that it looks bad for Adam Schefter and ESPN and it is poor journalism by the Highest standard of journalism, and that when you're teaching journalism or you're advising anybody new to journalism and young in journalism, that you should not do that and you should resist uh, when sources want to see your material before it's published and have say over or editorial control over anything you write. On the other hand, I've heard and seen, I don't know how many times I've really done this myself, but I know of good journalists that have done things like this before. Maybe it's a different type of story and a different type of context within the story. But sometimes I think journalists have benefited from allowing subjects that they write about to read what they plan to write um, and maybe suggest things that should be added. I don't think you should ever let somebody tell you what to take out, but to make sure you get it right and accurate and full and deep portrayal of whatever you're writing about, I've heard of journalists that have done things like this before.
0: Yeah. um, I think that the subject matter also left a little to be desired in terms of Adam Schefter's decision. It is, it was a story regarding the lockout uh, to have a member of management of NFL management going over your, your story, uh, which allows that member of management to shade things in a certain way, or to try to talk you out of phrasing something this way or giving the union maybe too much credit or wanting to emphasize something that management, uh, you know, wants you to, it really does um, underscore that reputation that Adam Schefter has, has, um, uh, has built over the years of being somebody who carries the water uh, of the national football league. And he's about information, but he's not necessarily about anything that is going to find uh, harsh truths or to get to the bottom of things, he is just an information broker uh, and he wants information and he's willing to uh, give information to get information. You know, there are some times, and you know, I've done this in my reporting too, I think it's good journalism. Sometimes I learn things that I can't use because my audience doesn't find it useful. And so I might be able to go to somebody, whether it be an agent or a player or a coach, or a general manager and say, hey, just want to let you know, I'm hearing this. Um, Or somebody in, for instance, when the bill sale was going on, being able to take something to one of the parties involved and say, hey, I'm hearing this. And in return, they say, oh, yeah. Okay, well, thanks for that. I'm also hearing this, this, and this. And so it's a way to collect information by giving and receiving. That's how Adrian Wojnarowski does his job. That's how Adam Schefter does his job. That's how Ian Rappaport does his job. You're you're brokering information in the hope of accumulating more of it yourself. Um, But in this instance, I think it really is damning that Adam Schefter was allowing a member of management to seemingly um, mold his message. And allow to use his message under Adam Schefter's byline. Uh, I have shared stories before they have run, and I'll tell you the circumstances for it. And I'm proud of it. I have written in the past on um, domestic violence, people who have been um, who share their story uh, and are ma- and are vulnerable, and they're trusting me to share their story. You see me say it on Twitter all the time. Hey Tim, great job on such and such story. And I will say, that's not my story. I was sharing uh, Mary Lois Nitmo's story regarding her husband, Bjorn, who has disappeared and was abusive. Um, I am sharing my story. I'm sharing uh, very personal information. And a lot of times somebody will tell you something in an interview and it's you and I talking and it doesn't feel as personal as it does when you see it written on the printed page. And sometimes I feel that there, that I, as a trusted steward of this story, of this very delicate information, we need to make sure that you're okay and that this isn't going to cause you more trauma. This isn't going to hurt you to see it. This isn't going to, and most importantly for me, just so I can sleep at night, make you feel like you shouldn't have trusted me or that, you feel betrayed or what a bad experience this was sharing my intimate story that I've kept secret for so long. And I didn't know if I wanted to share it. Um, so I have shared stories in that regard to say, this is how it's going to look to get prepared. I don't want to give you you know added nightmares. And, I, and I'll tell you this, one hundred times out of one hundred. Well, I haven't done it a hundred times. Let's say a hundred percent of the time, nothing has gotten changed because they see it, they're thankful for it, and they say thank you. Um, and so I have never once had to make a change, and I think it's because that's the process. Now, would I do that for a story on the on a lockout, or a business thing, or the sale of the team, the Buffalo Bills? No. I mean, that's my reporting. That's business. That's dollars. That's that's business. Uh, Uh, transactions. No, but you're talking about somebody who was, uh, abused, uh, domestic violence. Um, so there's all kinds of ways, um, that I've, I have gotten to a point where I said, I want to make sure that this, that the person is okay with this story. Uh, and as we move forward.
1: Yeah. And the tone of Adam Schefter's email, I don't think even when you're sharing elements of a feature story with somebody, you wouldn't be saying, hey, you know, edit this and tell me what to leave in leave out. You're, you're more putting people at ease. And, and I would think asking for more, you know, is there more to this? Did I get this right? Or is there more context um, that I should add in there? Or did I? I, I would, I don't know if I've ever done this with maybe more than a sentence, but sometimes you just want to phrase things correctly and not sound stupid when you're talking about complex subjects or things that you don't really know everything about and this source knows more than you. And you want to say, make sure that I write this correctly. Will I look stupid? Right. You know, we do this a lot with kind of off the record or anonymous sourcing. You know, if I write this, will I be correct? So sometimes you do share a sentence or two from what you plan to write for the sake of the reader and the sake of the journalism. But giving the whole story and the implication is that Bruce Allen could have killed the story or said, you know, take this out, add this. And that's not proper uh, in any sense.
0: No, then he is Mr. Editor. And uh, but look, there are some journalists out there that that's how that is how they make their relationships by allow by by being mouthpieces. And it does happen a lot. And you really, when you see it, uh, I think most of all where it's most blatant is um, coaching carousel season, you know, then you see who when all of a sudden you start uh, seeing reporters talking about how so-and-so would make a great uh, candidate for the jets opening or what have you. And generally you, 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 follow it back and see, all right, who's the agent for that coach. And uh, then you see who's got cozy relationships uh, or who's hoping to maintain a, a good pipeline of information.
1: Um and it's also, I think, a lesson for, you know, journalism, students and teachers and people that pay close attention to it, that the journalists who are most prominent on television and break the most news and get the most stories aren't always the best pure journalists, journalists that that kind of information trading and brokering isn't idealistic journalism, even though it is part of the journalism and news ecosystem. It's so a form a of young journalism. journalism coming up. I don't know if you really want to aspire to be maybe you do want to aspire to be in that position, but you don't necessarily want to uh, perform journalism in the same ways that you see it done on TV. Right. That's exactly right. Um,
0: I also wouldn't want to live that way either. Um, Not to, it is a hard job uh, and I'm not doing this to, to backtrack at all, but those, those insiders are are on their phones probably more than they're spending time with their family.
1: Right. I uh, mean, Adam and, Schefter doesn't drive a car because it would take him away from his phone too much. Sham Sharanya, I read, uh, stops playing pickup basketball because that one hour a week when he wasn't by his phone uh, was too much for him to be away from the news right. that he gets. Yeah. It's, a, it's not a way I'd like to make a living.
0: Um, before we uh, get to Joel Stanishevsky uh, let's talk about UB football. We haven't done that for a little bit. Uh, UB is two and four. They are at home on Saturday against Ohio with a chance to maybe get right. Uh, there are they're two games under 500, but they may have a, ch- a chance to uh, to salvage a season here.
1: Yeah, well, they've been on a slide. They lost their first two back games. They've lost four of their last five games. Their first win was against an FCS opponent, and their only win against an FBS opponent was against the a- Old Dominion sorry, team that's not very good. But they play – they're now entering the soft point of their schedule. They're playing Ohio. They're favored by a touchdown tomorrow for that game at home. Ohio lost to an FCS team earlier this season, Duquesne. Uh, So they're not a very good team. They play Akron next week, which lost to Ohio. And after that, they play Bowling Green. These are three of maybe the bottom ten teams in college football this season. So it's three winnable games for UB. And then at that point, they win those three. They're back over 500 and on track for bowl eligibility. And if you recall, it wasn't that long ago, only two years ago, UB started the season two and four and ended up winning six of the last seven games, the last one being at the bowl game, and they finished eight and five. I don't know if they have that kind of run in them, but they certainly could get off to a start that puts that in play and change the narrative of the season. Because right now it's looking like the program has taken quite a bit of a step backwards from where they were last season under Lance Leipold but if they get back to an over 500 and maybe even contend for the East division title, cause these are all games against East division teams. They're two games behind Kent state. Now that's not really a good situation for them to be in, but they could still, you know, you win three, four in a row, you're probably back in position to at least think you have a chance to win the division.
0: Yeah. I was really surprised at their lack of competitiveness against Kent state. Um,
1: you but know, Kent the- State's the favorite and was picked is the favorite in the division and a very high scoring team. And UB, you know, they fell down 21-0 in that game, but they came back and took the lead late and then missed a field goal that really took the air out of the ball for them and they ended up giving up two late touchdowns and losing that game. But they could have, that game could have ended with UB coming back for a very stirring win. And the narrative would be quite different, I think, if they were coming off a win in that game.
0: Yeah, for sure. I guess competitive wasn't – that was uh, not the right word to use because they were certainly competitive in the fact that they didn't just curl up in a fetal position and and die. But um, And I think that probably goes to some of my uh, Northeast Ohio college football uh, knowledge. Uh, I am used to Kent State being, you know, Kent State, you know, one win a a year, losing to one AA Youngstown State or whatever. You know, they were just awful for so many years. And, yes, I do know that they're supposed to be better. Julian Edelman's uh, alma mater, whatever that's worth. They were even lousy when Julian Edelman was
1: there. Well, and they're a fast-paced, high-scoring, explosive offense team right now. Right. And UB is struggling defensively, especially in the secondary and stopping big passing plays. So it was a tough matchup for UB defensively. And they were able to – keep up with it by scoring points themselves, but ultimately they gave up 48 points and lost the game. Well, Jonah, that's a pretty good uh, spin around sports. What? Well, I was just, I wanted to mention one more thing because it'll happen before we record again, but Monday, the first AP basketball poll will come out. It looks pretty much like St. Bonaventure is going to be in that preseason top 25 for the first time in 50 years. I believe it has been maybe even 51 years. Uh, You've seen some various polls that have been, or voters that have put their lists out. I've seen them as high as 11 on some of them. Wow. A lot of them in the top 20. Like, I think they'll be higher than 24, 25, or something like that. I think they could be in the top 20 when that poll comes out on Monday afternoon.
0: How significant is that? I mean,
1: the team's already,
0: well, uh, my, my thought being the team's already set the team is the team it's competitive, but getting a ranking, what is that? Is that something that, uh, that a team can use or ride or, or, or defend, or it's a, obviously it's great for marketing and for the school, but does it do anything for a team?
1: I think so. I mean, I think if you talk to people at UB that being ranked in football and basketball over the last two seasons has been huge for their marketing and recognition. No, I mean now,
0: okay. So I was saying, I agree that it's good for the school and for the fans and all that stuff, but does it help the team in terms of confidence
1: or given a swagger or does it make you any better? Maybe it's validation. I think if they were left out of the top 25, that might help them or maybe a little bit more in that sense and giving them an edge, it could lead to a little bit of overconfidence going into the season. I think Mark Schmidt will try to guard against that being ranked in the preseason. It's not as important in football when that kind of thing goes into the postseason calculation, but I think it, it helps you get ranked even higher as the season goes along. They don't have to play their way into the rankings because, you know, they open up with Siena and Canisius and those aren't wins that would take a team ranked in the top 30 into the top 25. And now that they're right. already in the top 25, Great point. they have the opportunity to stay in the top 25 as they continue to win games and they could even maybe lose to a good opponent and continue to be ranked. Obviously it's important for getting seated in the NCAA tournament at the end of the year and getting an at-large bid if they don't win the Atlantic 10 uh, I think it's really just a reflection of how good this team is expected to be and how good the season could be if they're ranked this high at the very start of the season before any games have been played. Do you have a
0: prediction as to where they're going
1: to be? Yeah, I th- uh, I'm going to say 20. take a stab at it? I'm going to say 20 would be my prediction because I think they're going to be a little bit higher than the very bottom of the top 25, but there'll be voters that maybe don't know and, and leave them off the ballot, and that could hurt overall how many voting points they get. But that's where I think they're going to be right around uh, the top 20 instead of the top 25. And for me, I mean, I don't want to say I'm rooting for it, but in a way I am because I'll get opportunities to cover these early season games for the Associated Press that the Associated Press wouldn't cover St. Bonaventure if they're not in the top 25. So I'm hopeful that they are in the top 25 for that first week and get to go do some AP coverage and Olean for the first two home games. Right on. So we did hit all four sports. Yep, hit for the cycle. No check
0: swings. No, no check swings. Yeah, it was a it was a regrettable uh, a regrettable tweet by me last night. You've had your share of those over the years. Yeah, I have. <laughs> but I saw it. I'm watching the game live, and I was like, Eff. I agree with you. It's part of the game. The, the pitch, pitch call, wasn't man, even off. close. Number it's one, why is it? Yeah, so I could, if you want to get really deep into the nuance of it, why is he even checking that swing? It wasn't even close. It wasn't even anywhere, but he's, he checked his swing and uh, the ump, you know, it's tough for these umps, especially with bat speed today. Uh, you know, I know it's Wilmer Flores, but um, bat speed today. And these guys uh, it's tough for an ump down the first baseline to, to be able to see it with the naked eye.
1: I do think in uh, the era of instant replay and technology and reviewing all these things, that that should be a reviewable call and maybe be able to be called back.
0: Well, I, I'm, I have no problem with reviewing everything. The problem, though, with check swings is how many times have you seen a check swing and you still can't tell, even on the replay? It, there is a subjectiveness to the check swing because some, is it, is it crossing the plate? Is it breaking your wrists? Sometimes you don't break the wrist and the bat still kind of comes around. You know, yeah, there would the have shoulder. to be an
1: objectable. Does the bat come there's through a, the strike zone in a certain way? Yes, Something that there's, could be technologically determined and it wouldn't even be a judgment call.
0: Does it break the lot, the the plane of the of the first baseline? You know, whatever. I mean, anyways, there are well, subjective also, there's it's a subjectiveness not a swing to it.
1: If you check it, even if it's you go a little bit, pull it back, it's not a swing. It's half that's it's not there yet. I think the ball, I think the bat has to come at least halfway around before it should count.
0: Maybe we see baseball start to micromanage that and put in actual, you know, and I'm, you know what, knowing baseball and as somebody who used to have the rule book uh, memorized because I was that much of a geek as a, as a 13 year old, I remember going to Walden books and buying the major league baseball rule book off the shelf. And I read the thing cover to cover. I used to know all this stuff. I wouldn't be surprised though if it is specifically spelled out what a check swing is, but you know how umps are.
1: There is a it, standard. I, I should. They know. view
0: themselves uh, as artisans. You know, like it's all everything is kind of up to is subjective, especially mm-hmm. strike zones. But there were a bunch. All right, so I mean, and that's going to necessarily well, get
1: into and it. your 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 tweet because that's part of the game. Umpires right. making subjective calls that you might not agree with is part of baseball, and if it goes against your team or a team. Like I said, tough shit.
0: Yep, tough shit. Tough shit indeed. I guess I could have said tough break, and it would have been a little more palatable for the Giants fans out there that were not happy with me. But
1: yeah, tough break
0: of the wrist. Tough, right. Hey, um, Jonah. Uh, what about Amherst Pizza Ale House this weekend? You think we ought to stop? I don't have to go to Nashville well,
1: until at- Sunday. I'll be at the Sabres games. I would not be able to go watch a home Sabres game at this point in the year, but got some road games coming up. And what did you say? They got a special on Sabres nights.
0: Yeah. Uh, Half price pitchers and, and pizzas um, for every Sabres game. And uh, of course you can watch all the college and pro games there. Uh, I like to remind folks uh, about Amherst pizza and the house. They're a sponsor of the show. It's located at 55 Crosspoint Parkway in Getzville, and that's right off Millersport Highway and the 990. So it's really easy to get to, depending on which way you want to take. It's uh, it's right there. Um, ton of TVs inside, outside. Enjoy the warm weather while you still can. Uh, but um, whether you want to watch a Sabers game or get the get the early uh, the college football games while the sun's still out and it's still warm, it's uh, it's a great spot to watch uh, sports, which is what. ESPN.com recognized it as uh, Western New York's top spot to watch sports. A uh,
1: lot of energy in there. I always like to point that out. And um, and I like a nice touch. They have the Buffalo News sports section on the wall by the urinal. So you can that's get true. informed. and
0: It is a nice to know, touch. As they that like is, to that's where I get to read the Buffalo News in print. I, I subscribe to the Buffalo News online. but um, But yeah, if I want to see it in print, it's right there in the men's room above the urinal. And, um, you get to see what,
1: uh, what, do you, what, what do you do when it. that's kind of a long story and, and you're finished with your business at the urinal, but you want to finish the story. Do you stand there and, and read to the end? Uh,
0: yeah, well, it depends on how busy, you know, if you hear that door open behind you, or, you know, you can, you sense that somebody is, you know, waiting, then generally
1: I, I will not fake it.
0: But yeah, I've been known to, you know, finish up a, you know, a good
1: piece of journalism, or you put uh, a little at, bookmark there and, and come back later. And yeah. Well,
0: bookmark. yeah. Depending on how, yeah. And it, whatever I'm doing there, if I'm there for a little while, I'll say, well, I'm going to have to be coming back again. I'll, uh, I'll pick up where I left off. Um, so, all kinds of uh, benefits to checking out Amherst Pizza and House. Or if you're not into reading the sports page in the men's room, you can get uh, takeout or delivery, 716 625 7100. 716-625-7100, Amherst Pizza House.
2: No
0: the melodious sounds of force-fed lies tells us only one thing. It's time for Joel Stanishevsky on the line from Vegas. He is our resident handicapper, odds maker, analyst, the pride of Sloan, the pride of St. Joe's, the pride of Buff State, been out in Vegas for a long time. His job is sports betting. And um, here he is with us once again uh, to talk about uh, the Bills at Titans matchup from a betting standpoint. Uh, We did not have a Tim Graham and Friends brought to you by CTBK late last week, so we did not get Joel's picks. Joel did send me his picks. Uh, but because we didn't uh, put them out there for public consumption, we are not going to count those against the record or for the record. For that, he pushed, uh, I guess. Uh, but in uh, full transparency, Joel, uh, you wanted the over, but you also said take the Chiefs and give the points. Um, your, your thoughts on that? Well, let's look back on that since we really didn't have a chance to talk about that Chiefs game, and it is such a big game. doesn't hurt to review it. Um, your thoughts on that one?
2: Yeah, um, I kind of based it upon – I know that the Bills are better this year than they were last year, and the Chiefs, especially defensively, are worse than they were last year. But if you look at it coaching-wise, we were outcoached. Every time we played them, we were outcoached. We were outplayed, but we were also outcoached. And it was kind of one of those situations where, from a betting standpoint, I thought, I'm gonna take the Chiefs because that's what they kind of t- it's telling me but I also kind of want to see I kind of want the bills to prove to me that they're that they've taken that next step and they clearly did.
0: Yeah, I think that that is a common sense approach uh, to that game. I did pick the bills to win, but I wasn't confident in that for all the things you just said the game was at Arrowhead Stadium really the only thing I was banking on. Uh, or I guess my prediction was based on the fact that the Bills have been playing so well defensively. However, you throw an asterisk on that, you know, we're talking backup quarterbacks, you know, we're talking Jacoby Brissett and Taylor Heineke and Davis Mills. I mean, come on. I mean, that's not Patrick Mahomes. So uh, I, I think it's fair Uh, and anybody who picked the chiefs to win that game. I don't think that this is an, I told you so type situation. The chiefs were supposed to win that game, I believe. Uh, And well, heading into it, uh, it all made sense. I wonder what would happen though, Joe, what would happen if they played again this week at Arrowhead stadium? What do you think the spread would be?
2: Um, I, I feel like you couldn't really go too far off from what it was. I mean, I, 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 thought the number was right on. It was pretty much where you'd expect that number to be both side and total. Um, I don't know how much they would really go back. I mean, maybe a pick 'em. But they couldn't go. They couldn't make the bills the favorite, not in Kansas City.
0: Yeah, interesting uh, element there. I just was curious because we it was such a thorough ass beating. Uh, yeah, watching it from a fan
2: standpoint, what'd you think? I mean, you had to be ecstatic. Oh, it was amazing. But I mean, it, it was. I guess I'm kind of um, in that situation where no matter how big of a lead our team has, we're always still back of our mind like can't celebrate. Quite yet, because we know that those collapses have happened in the past. I mean, we've seen it. Uh, the first game that pops into my head was when the Bills played Dallas on Monday night and were a huge dog and were winning and then just folded. And then again, I think that same year, maybe the next year with the Patriots that we were up and then gave up a quick touchdown and fumbled the kickoff and gave up another touchdown. It was, so, I mean, 14 points or 20 points, you know, two scores, 16 points still isn't some lock, like you would think if you were watching some other team. And I don't know if it's just because it's my team or because we've seen it so many times where, um, you know, we can just fold under pressure and go to some run, 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 punt offense. But, you know, we're, I think we're a totally different team now. And it just takes a while to get, to get used to that. Well, Emmanuel Sanders said it
0: himself uh, when the chiefs cut it to 11 in the second half, he said, Oh Lord, we got a game. Uh, and he said he started to get a little nervous, or at least he suggested that. And here's a guy who's not used to the cynicism of the bills, you know, same old bills. Here we go again. Here's the guy who just was recognizing the fact that this is the NFL and these are the Kansas city chiefs and they're within two scores now. So buckle up. Uh, but then the bills responded with a great drive. Um, your
2: thoughts on the bills at Nashville on Monday night. You know, everyone talked about this last week being a revenge game. And if you think back to last year, this Titans game to me is more of a revenge game. We lost to the Chiefs in the playoffs and we've lost to the Chiefs in the regular season, but they were fairly close games. We played the the, t- the Titans last year and we got destroyed. I mean, um, the cornerback, Who's no longer on our team? I can't think of his name. Um, Josh got, Norman. Josh Norman. He was a he was a joke from the NFL for for an entire calendar year. They're going to show that stiff right. arm twenty more times before kickoff. And you know that game was the one that got moved around because Tennessee had had COVID problems. It got moved. It got moved. It was going to get canceled. No, and now it's playing on a Tuesday night or whatever it was. I don't remember the specifics of it all. But we got our asses handed to us, forty-two to sixteen. Um, that was, I think, the biggest loss we've had that I could think of in recent history. Losing against a, game a team and,
0: that wasn't able to practice.
2: Uh, yeah, practice. I remember saying, uh,
0: giving my prediction on uh, the Buffalo kickoff live show that uh, you know th- that the Bills should romp. Otherwise everything that they've talked about regarding all these hallowed routines of, of the NFL about practice being so important and every rep and getting in your weekday routine or your day, your day-to-day routine leading up to a game. The game was on a Tuesday. You were right. It was a Tuesday night. It it, it was just all blown out of the water. All of those, <laughs> those fabled uh, those fabled sentiments of NFL toughness and, and preparation and you know, those coaches who have cots in their office uh, so they can go over film and, and they don't see their families for four months. Uh, yeah, all out the window. Tennessee couldn't, Tennessee was stuck at home for like 10 days and they right. just, yeah, beat the hell out of the Bills. Yeah. So uh, to me, this but is- You don't have to thing. go back too far if you're Sean McDermott to make sure your guys are motivated for this game.
2: Yeah, and I know, you know, there's the, the dreaded trap game or whatever. We just played a huge game. We have a bye week coming up. Um, but I think that, you know, that every time you see the video footage of the game after the word, after the game in the locker room, when McDermott's always saying humble and hungry, you know, I really think he's really good at keeping this team motivated and not looking forward or not looking back. So, uh, I, I feel like to me, this is the biggest, um, revenge game because we, we lost to the chiefs, but the chiefs were a better team. We lost to the Titans, and we were a far better team. And we didn't just lose. We got destroyed. Um, Granted, we held Henry in rushing yards, but he had two rushing touchdowns. Uh, um, I know that Josh Allen threw at least one pick. I think he might have fumbled also in that game. It was was a, a bad game from the Bills. And I think that, from my perspective, they really need to come out strong in this game. For a Titans team that's pretty good, and is good and getting their starters, their receivers back. So I think that this is a really big game for the Bills. And going into um, going into the bye week, another win would be would be enormous. No fumbles for Josh Allen in that game, but
0: two interceptions. Uh, he was twenty six of forty one for two sixty three, two touchdowns, two interceptions. He was sacked once. Let me just take a look and see how much he got touched in that game. Uh, the Titans had three quarterback hits, four tackles for losses. So in addition to the sack, I mean, they were in the, they were in the Bills' backfield quite a bit in yeah. that game. Um, so five points or five-and-a-half. You can also get it for five-and-a-half. Uh, but I'm guessing that if you like the Bills in this one, uh, you'll go ahead and keep that extra half. Uh, and the total is 53-and-a-half to
2: 54. Um, what, what, what are your picks for this? We're taking Buffalo minus five, and we're going under fifty-four. I think the defense is going to continue to shine. Tennessee has a solid defense. They are they are a primary running team that keeps the clock running. Um, Tannehill has been sacked a million times so far this year. That's got keeps that's a record, the, I think. Keeps the clock running, so uh, Buffalo still wants to run the ball. They want to still be able to course they're going to pass the ball that's a given but they want to still keep establishing that run um so i think it's going to be bills minus five and we're going to go under 54 jonah do you have anything for joel i don't
0: ah okay <laughs> wanted to make sure we didn't just uh, exclude you from the conversation here
2: uh what other games do you like joel i'm not a big fan of betting the uh overseas games the early, early, early games, the 6 a.m. Why? Vegas games, it, just because it's there's a whole lot of extra stuff in there. Home teams aren't really home teams. So much travel. You don't know what the field conditions are going to be like. There's no real home field advantage when it comes to crowds. So anything that you can give a team a, a benefit for when it's uh, Seattle in Seattle, Buffalo in Buffalo, you, know, you don't know what the weather's going to be like. You don't know. I mean, you can obviously look at what the weather's going to be like. I don't mean, you know, that way, but like, Wind coming in during a kick. You don't know any of these any of these little things that – these little nuances that can affect a game. But I believe that the Miami Dolphins at minus three is a, a good number. So we're going to go Miami minus three. We're taking that game. We're also going to take the Chicago Bears plus six at home against Green Bay, a little bit high of a number. Green Bay is a better team for sure um but I think it's a bit of a high number for uh Chicago to be getting at home um speaking of home dogs double digit dog New York Giants plus 10 hosting the Rams west coast to east Coast uh home team home dog double digit home dog, double digit home dogs has got to be like the number one thing that you always is one of those little things that it's a light bulb that goes off into your head. Double-digit home dogs, especially if um, they're saying that Daniel Jones is probably going to play. Um, I would wait on that to make sure, but I, I'm liking the Giants at home plus 10. And then last one, the Carolina Panthers. I think they kind of let me down last week. They did. Uh, but we're going to go with them again, plus 2.5 again that game that they should actually be favored in that game to be honest um where am i looking at that oh at at home against minnesota i think it's i think that game should be like a minus one or a pick at the most so them getting two and a half at home i think is too much so we're gonna
0: I i don't want to talk you into it joel but do you want to double down on that one
2: no, I don't want to double down on anything. We're gonna go singles on everything. But we got, okay. a lo- I, I got a lot of games this week. But we're gonna, we're gonna keep riding. Like I said, bad starts, but you know, we're gonna make that adjustment, and we're just gonna keep on playing our game and doing what we do. How have you adjusted your personal finances with all this money you're losing lately? <laughs> I'm just selling off some more stocks than I wanted to. Just kidding. Um, no, if you, you you bet you bet. What can affect you either way? you bet enough that if you win you got some extra spending money you get to go to a fancy dinner or eat some nice pizzas every once in a while. If you lose you just tighten the you know you tighten up the purse a little bit and don't go to Starbucks every day for coffee so it's all right you keep you keep rolling with the punches
0: within your means that's a responsible betting here is what we also want to emphasize uh, oh Joe gives you these picks don't bet the mortgage not um, this year at least no. Uh, for full transparency, again, Joel has gotten off to a bit of a rough start. He's coming around, though. Uh, he is starting to find a little momentum. Uh, unofficially 6-12-1 on his on his bets against the number. Uh, but we're officially 4-10 and because of last week's uh, missed episode. Uh, but let's recap. Oh, wait, before we recap, let me ask you this about um, uh, Bears. Wait, let me double-check that I'm talking about the right game. Bears-Packers. Um, let me pull it up here on Vegas Insider so I can take a look. No, no, it's Rams Giants. I was looking at this. So Rams Giants, you have it, obviously uh, you're going to take the 10 points if you're the Giants, but you can find it for eight. At FanDuel, it's only eight. At PointsBet, it's 10. Is there a play to make there um, that you can exploit uh, when the spread is two points? When the dif- now, when the difference between two places is two points,
2: no, I, I think if if you're if you're going to try to do something like that, it has to be a key number. It's got to be uh, you bet it early, and then some injury or something popped up, um, like a like a six and a half to a ten, or a six and a half to a nine and a half, or a two and a half to a five and a half. When you, those key numbers is something that you can that you can that you should be looking for. The threes, the sevens going from eight to 10 isn't, isn't that much of a a thing. I mean, if you're going to try to um, do a, a, do a, a, a hedge type of thing, you want to do it, like take the plus 10, hope that the giants score first in in running, and then you can lay the Rams, you know, minus six or six and a half. That's, that would be the best route to go between eight and 10. I don't think that's enough to, to, to warrant trying to get a middle on that. Gotcha.
0: Uh, So to recap, Joel Staniszewski says, take the bills, give the Titans five points. He's going under 54 Miami minus three against Jacksonville, Chicago plus six at home against green Bay, the New York giants plus 10 at home against the Rams, Carolina plus two and a half against Minnesota. So one, two, three, four, five, six bets there for you. Um, Joel, thanks again for the analysis, and uh, good luck with the the slips this weekend.
2: All right, you too.
0: The financial needs of a business go beyond tax and attest services. That's why CTBK goes beyond accounting services and offers outsourced solutions through their affiliation with CFO Solutions Plus. These additional services allow clients to focus on their operational and long-term strategic goals. Trust CTBK's outsourced solutions to provide cost-effective, value-added financial services tailored to your company's needs. Call CTBK at 716-630-2400. Again, 716-630-2400. Or go to ctbk.com to learn more about CTBK's outsourced solutions.